With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom, reach new audiences, and bring important information to the public free of charge. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Visit www.realitycheck.radio forward slash donate. You're on Reality Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. I always say we're blessed with our guests. Well, we're doubly blessed this morning. Doubly blessed because we have two uh, lady guests, not just one. But doubly blessed because, oh, my goodness, they are extraordinary women doing extraordinary things. And we're all going to feel a little bit inadequate. Uh, we've got Ginny Deval. I got your name right? Yep, you did. Now, I started reading on your webpage. Oh, my goodness. Like, you're an adventurer that sea kayaks hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of kilometres all around Fiordland. I did, yes. And then tramp and walk, and you're thinking, oh, my goodness, how do you begin to do that? I'm going to come back to that. And you're sea kayaking, and then you're tramping. Then you produce the most vibrant and brilliant art. It just jumps out at you. It's beautiful art. It is stunning art. Thank and I've you. got you on my show. I truly can't believe it. So this is the background to this. And then <clears throat> I thought, oh, and there's some lady with you coming on, Maria Custer. And I thought, I didn't, I didn't think that she's related to the Custer at Custer's last day. No. I thought, oh, what does she do? Oh, Maria, welcome to Reality Check Radio. Lovely to be here. Do you know, I went on to your webpage. Is the webpage pure salt or salt? Pure salt. Pure salt. Pure salt. Yes. Having been blown away by these magnificent pictures, I was put on the floor by your webpage, and I encourage everyone to go to both these webpages. Ginny Deval for the art and for the story, and Pure Salt for the wonderful videos. They are sensational videos, Maria. Well done. Well, it's, it's not us. It's a place and the people, and the videos are beautiful. It is a place. Showcasing people's different versions of experiencing the it, place. It is a place because the place that you're at is a remote place of New Zealand. I imagine most New Zealanders could hardly couldn't place it on the map, let alone have been there. Yeah, and it's called Dusky Sound. Yeah, Tamatia Dusky Sound, um, and not Tamatea. just in Tamatia Dusky Sound. We we operate um, charters all around Fiordland and Stewart Island. And you're quite right. I think most most Kiwis go to the, that, that really far away place, and they might have heard of Milford Sound. You know, tourism and buses going forwards and backwards, and they might have gotten as far as Queenstown. But down to Tamatia Dusky, there is no roads. Um, the only way you get in is by helicopter or by boat, maybe float plane if you've got a good day, or sea kayaking around the coast if you're so inclined. What brought you to Dusky Sound and to the cruise business there? That's a very long story. Um, We've got time. Well, 
let's say um, nothing in life is really linear, at least not the things that are worth doing, I believe. Um, and that's the same with my partner and my journey to start Pure Salt in Fjordland. I've done all sorts of things from um, just traveling, you know, backpacking around the place and falling in love. And that's going about 20 years back now. Um, I got to New Zealand as a sweet 18-year-old with a backpack um, and absolutely no idea what I was going to do. And even back then, um, Fjordland kind of stuck to me. And I think you'll find that with anyone that has spent any amount of time in remote parts of Fjordland, there's something that you can't quite wrap your the right words around to describe. It touches something. Um, that that wild place, that scale and you in it. And even back at much sweet 18, um, I connected with that. And that stuck with me and kept pulling me back. And eventually, um, through accumulation of all sorts of skills and just deciding to wanting to do certain things, um, before you know it, you have your own boat in fuel and then you get to connect other people with a place that you care about. So I don't know how much detail and how far you want to go into that. No, that captures it. And I have to say... (laughs) Even the video, the, well, the videos, I shouldn't say even the videos, because the videos are so stunning. But they make you fall in love with Dusky Sound. And, of course, we know the landscape of Fiordland. Well, I do. I haven't been to Dusky Sound, but I know the landscape. And you know nothing quite captures it. No, it doesn't no. capture the feeling or the panorama or the size of it. But those videos, they drew me in to the place. You yes. had an artist on the video who said, Wow, it was wonderful. What was his name, Morrison? Um, Til, Tim Wilson. Tim a Wilson. A friend of ours, yes. And he was saying, here he was. Let's just say he wasn't a sweet 18-year-old. And he was <laughs> saying that by going to Dusky Sound, it had sort of like given him a whole new set of brushes and, and palette to do art with. And I thought that is... So stunning. And I think it was him. One of the guests said, you sort of expect the pterodactyle to sort of fly into Dusky Sound, that it's such a remarkable place. Yes. Yes, that is his his words. And it's even for especially him, he has painted those landscapes his entire life. So he knows the place intimately and to even still experience new facets and find new details uh, that's what I mean by it's really hard to describe explain or or paint what what it is because it's different for everyone and even for us after you know 20 years in the place I still find different shades I still find different views different feelings um that connection grows stronger and it's really hard to explain that and lovely to hear that that video gets that for you and that's really what what mm. we are trying to do we're trying to connect people to the place by whatever means possible and um, well, that's just quickly really and the art comes in too yeah we've got a lot to cover so i'm going to try because i'm just in awe of you both and what you do truly and but if i'm listening to the show or I'm me, and I say, I just want to go there. I just want to see that. I want to feel that. I'm not an outdoorsy person. I don't, I can't ocean kayak. Uh, I can't climb a mountain. But I'm going to jump on a plane to Queenstown, hire a car, and drive to Tianao. 
what could I then do with pure salt? Well, you want to think ahead because generally um, people come on board with us for five or six nights at a time. Yes. So you just imagine 27-metre ex-Navy vessel, yep. um, only 12 people at the time, and absolutely no schedule and itinerary. So what you do whilst you're there is totally up to the people, the weather and the tides, and it kind of develops. Um, kind of like a floating batch on the water with all your toys on board. So there's kayaks and paddle boards and scuba gear and free diving equipment and fishing gear to go catch. And we can go on land, go walking, do conservation work, watching photography, whatever it might be for you, lots of history around. But it's really just a, quite literally and, and non-literally a vessel to connect people with place. Um, all sorts of people come for all sorts of reasons, and it's all Kiwis. We don't do international tourism. So it's not people coming from all over the world to see this. This is us connecting Kiwis with the places they call home. Is that a choice you make? Consciously, um, because for for us it is about looking after place. And if a Kiwi comes on board, firstly the, the batch mentality is quite natural, you know, um, and secondly – any any connections made and any understanding around conservation work needed or tool development needed or full utilization around fishing or how to make a broth, the smallest of things, people don't take that away into the other end of the world. It is then relevant to their own backyard. It is something they can take Good home goodness. and it ripples. And over the 15 years that we've been doing chartering one form or another, you know, we've seen families growing up. There's people that, you know, have followed us through different vessels before we started our own business. And it's relationship building that comes with it. You know, we run the boat with people. By the time day three or four comes around, everybody, you know, helps with the dishes. And if they walk inside with shoes on, they'll grab the vacuum cleaner and have a tidy up. You know, they help to get in the kayaks up and down. And, and you have, it's yeah. all about people. It's not a it's not a product. We don't wait on people hand and foot. We're just connecting people. And could I book on one of these connections to nature as an individual? Yep, we do both. So most of what we do is chartering. So one one person will book the whole boat for the group. Um, and then so no, no, but like, would, like what I'm saying is you take 12 people, yep. but would you match me with another 11? Yes. So um, we call that joiner groups. So okay that people can then book on an individual basis and just join. But, again, it's it's all Kiwis, so people from all and, over the yeah. place. And good chance you know would... someone that knows someone. Yeah. And where do you sleep? Um, on board. So there is a number of cabins around. Um, four of them are all doubles uh, with a single above, so it could be two singles or, or a couple in a, in a cabin with their own bathrooms. And then there is a family quad as well, so that's four single beds with a, their own bathroom as well really comfortable it's it's a home on the water it's not a, a fishing boat that you got to make do while you're out there like you got comforts there's a hot tub on the top deck you know we've got a washing no machine and dryers and heating all the way through and really seriously good food you know all the stuff of the comfort so it doesn't matter how uncomfortable you get while you get yourself out of outside your comfort zones exploring the place you can always come back and you know get your core temperature back up and be homely and happy again well that would be I suspect a trip of a lifetime. For many it is, and many think it is just a trip of a lifetime, and I'm then surprised that they keep coming back. It might not be every year, it might be every two or three years, but 
Um, what quite often happens, you might get a proper boy's trip come along, all about hunting, fishing, diving. And then they realize, actually, this is comfortable enough and there's so much more to the place. I'd love to share this with my family. And they bring their family back or they bring their business partners back in a terms into a team building event, um, corporate get-togethers, or they decide that actually photography is it. Let's, you know, come on board with an expert on that. Um, there's so many different ways of exploring it. Last year, uh, I'm not really an outdoorsy person, but last year, my children primary school age and my wife dragged me up and down the hills mm -hmm. and the Milford track. Oh my goodness. I couldn't believe it. When I was young, I did a lot of tramping and I was sort of a bit dreading this because I thought I might get puffed going up some hill and have to lie down and call a helicopter or something, but I, d I did it okay. But I could not believe how beautiful Milford Track is. I could not believe it. The, every step was stunning, beautiful. And I'd heard it was his greatest walk and all the rest was, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's sort of advertising and marketing. And I imagine Dusky Sound is next level. Again, there's the, the, the bush is still pretty well untouched. At first glance, um, the bush you look at and the scenery and the landscape is exactly what Murray would have, you know, paddled through, exactly what Cook sailed into in 1773. So being able to be out there with relatively few others around um, definitely puts things into perspective. So going for walks on the island is really special. You can see where Captain Cook parked his boat. Is that what you say? They don't park a boat, do they? <laughs> Mooring, but yes, <laughs> parking will work. <laughs> you can see where he moored his boat for some time, I believe. Yes. There's still there are trees they cut that you can see or something like is that true? Yep, absolutely. Pickerskill Harbour. So astronomers point where they cleared the cleared the point. Um you can still see the tree stumps and you can still see where the very first fix was taken, New Zealand soil and you know, the names are left all over the place. I mean, Maui Kato Resolution Island because he sailed the resolution in there. Pukanui Anchor Island because he anchored just off Anchor Island. Everything is quite literal. If you start going through, you can literally follow wow. the journey all the way. And what about signs of Maori habitation? Um, there's a there's a little bit around. There's actually just recently was a good article in New Zealand Geographic around that. Um, Nick Lowe um, started to follow the or try to reconstruct the lost tribe um, off Fjordland because there's lots and lots of stories um, and often linkages missing. So he went on a journey trying to link them all up. So there's a bit of that around as well. If you have a copy, it's well worth reading. And the Takahi, was that somewhere around Dusky Sound or further away that it was discovered in 1948? No, um, rediscovered in the Murchison Mountains, so um, just across Lake Tiana, so not okay. quite that far south. Okay. Now, Ginny, Ginny. 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 Yeah. Yeah. I look, it's so tough because I could talk to you ladies and I, it's such a privilege for me because um, I get to talk to you on behalf of our uh, listeners and they'll be sitting there saying, ask them this, ask them this, ask them this. And, and I can ask you questions and you sort of obliged to answer because you're on the show. <laughs> How did you decide to go sea kayaking around Fiordland? It was like, I would look at that and think, 
this is very, very dangerous and scary and lonely. Mm. That's also quite a long story. Um, <laughs> ladies are full of long stories. Yeah. Um, my. I always get the feeling that in the background there's a boy, if you know what I mean. I don't know. But carry oh. on. Romance. But anyway, carry on. So Tell we were both working as sea kite guides in the Coromandel. Um. And the year, a couple of years before, we had got in our kayaks and paddled up the east coast of Coromandel and out to Great Barrier Island. And then we got a ride on a fishing boat over to Kawa Island and, and then carried on up the Northland coast. And we had a great time. We spent five weeks. You could have done it. I mean, you could do it in a couple of weeks, but we literally went out in and out of every cave and tunnel and stopped at most beaches and just discovered the whole coastline. And it was awesome. And so I definitely got the bug and wanted to go on a longer journey. So you're, rowing, you're, you're rowing along, right? And yeah. your arms must get excruciatingly tired and your bum gets sore or you just get used to it and you get into a rhythm. And you well, I do these days. But back then, we were guiding every day, so it was just, it was normal. Another day. It was just another day. And you pull in somewhere, a remote, remote, remote A or beach, just you, and you camp there. Yeah. And light a wee fire and cook a fish. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. Yeah, one night we um we heard kiwis. This is just north of the Bay of Islands. We heard kiwis up on the hill all night long and then woke up in the morning there were tracks going round and round our tent on the beach. Amazing. Yeah. But, yeah, we um, we wanted to do a longer trip. And at the time there was – so it was 2012 that we did the, the Fjordland paddle. I can't remember off the top of my head the company, but they, there, was, there was a group giving away a grant to New Zealanders that wanted to go on journeys, but then – to come back and share share that in some way with the public. And the goal was to promote healthy risk-taking in New Zealanders and adventure and also making helping to make it accessible to everybody and to seem achievable to live an adventurous life to everybody. And so that, that sounded pretty cool. And so we thought and thought about what we could do and paddling around Fiordland seemed like a, a pretty cool adventure, but maybe not quite enough, and the Coast to Coast was on at the time. And so we thought, well, how about we just do our own Coast to Coast, but we'll just we'll do it the long way from the south to the north coast. So that's how it started. And we applied and we did all the paperwork and we applied for this grant and we ended up getting shortlisted, but we didn't get it. Oh. And, um, and so the plan was always to write a book and paint about it, and um, we'd done all this planning, so I mean, couldn't let it go to waste. So we ended up doing it anyway. And, um, yeah, it was great. It was three months. And, um, again, you could have done it so much faster. But, um, yeah, it was more about being there than it was to get to the end. And um, we had two rules right from the start that we'd always stick together. That, um, and if it wasn't fun, we'd stop. Mm, um, that's a good rule. Yeah, it was just good rules. always fun. We're just, we had the stack of maps and, We'd just pull out a couple of maps and then we'd paddle off the end and get the next one. And we'd never really looked too far ahead. We looked at the weather and we planned where we'd, we planned to be in a hut whenever there was bad weather. But, you know, we might have like a three or a four or a six day window. And in that time, we would just go exploring, catch and fish. And bad, 
bad weather's another level of bad weather down there, isn't it? We got the best summer. Oh, really? We got the best summer ever. We went snorkeling at Persica Point, which is, um, for those that don't know, Persica Point's the southwestern corner of New Zealand. There's a lighthouse there, and uh, it's one of the roughest places in the country. It's the Southern Ocean. There's usually huge swell, and um, our photos make it look like a tropical island. That is too funny. Yeah, you you wouldn't read weather forecast. You always end up going storm warning, 60 knots, you, going somewhere. You, you wouldn't read it. <laughs> Um, but yeah, we got a, we did get a few waves and we did get a few storms, but um, overall we we're, we're very lucky. Well, it must make you very resourceful and resilient because you'd have to plan and rely on yourself for food, water, and shelter. Yeah, we had a couple of food drops. We had a friend come in and join us at um, Doubtful Sound. Yeah. Um, so she paddled from Doubtful to Milford. She had a, a really <laughs> she had very vague instructions from me to meet me at Doubtful somewhere around the state and bring lots of food. <laughs> and, yeah, she was there. And so, yeah, she brought in this food. Is and like, this is like Daniel Boone, isn't it? You know, you're exploring the frontier and you sort of arrange to meet someone, give or take a month or so. Oh, and she was so brave coming in. So <laughs> she had no idea what she was getting herself into. She was, um, yeah, she was so brave. We and had a great white follow us. And uh, she got seasick and she had a cap size. And um, that was definitely a, a big adventure. Be good bonding for your partner and you too, right? You'd find yeah. out what you're both, your compatibility. Yeah. yeah. Um, and your art. Tell me about your art. I know we've got a big topic coming up, but I want to just get the bit of yeah. throat clearing. Tell um, me about your art. How did that come about? Where did that come from? I come from a very artistic family. Um, lots of creatives, all different. And um, I grew up in a tiny house with just drawing and painting materials around and lots of projects around. And it was just such a normal, valuable thing to do. And so, and I was always drawn to it. So I was always drawing and painting and then um, left in my sort of later teenage years and early 20s and went travelling and got really into the outdoors. And once I started sea kayak guiding and was living in a flat up here in the Coromandel, I started painting again, but um, there wasn't much room in the flat. On a rainy day, I was between the pool table and the piano and in everybody's way. And on a nice day, I'd just pack up a canvas and paints and walk around the coast and go and paint but I definitely felt like I enjoyed it but I didn't really have a, a why why I was doing it and uh, we did that sea kayak trip up the coast of Northland in the Coromandel and then the following summer all my paintings were about that trip and I got about I must have been in about six or seven paintings before I even realized that that's what I was painting about and it kind of all just took off from there once I had that that reason why so um well, go and search, dear listeners. You're on Rally Check Radio, Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Go to the webpage, uh, Guinea Devol, D-E-A. Now, the first word is, I'm <laughs> going to see if I spell it right, G-I-N-N-E-Y. Yeah, Ginny. And Ginny. And uh, Devol, D-E-A-V-O-L, one L. Two L's. Two L's, two L's. And you will see this vibrant, beautiful wonderful art that just lifts your spirit so thank you for that 
Now, Maria, I know a mad German from down your way, Arno. Oh, yes, he lives just down the road from us. Well, give him my very best <laughs> regards because he wasn't content to canoe or kayak around Fjordland. He tried to swim it. Yes, yes. He's not the first crazy person to do it, and I'm sure he will eventually. Isn't that something? Yes. I love that guy so much because he's so um, – we're having a sort of private conversation on here now. He is so um, – doesn't care – what he says or what people might think when he says it. <laughs> just and he does backpacking kayaking or something, doesn't he? Where um, you what's it called? Pack rafting. Pack rafting. So, yeah, another form of adventure. So you actually carry your inflatable kayak if you wish on your back. So you can go overland and then you know paddle across a lake and down rivers and along the coast if you wish to. Yes. So, really he, cool. I, I got to meet him through uh, I'm a my kids took up ski racing and I I worked as a judge and he's a big time uh, race timer. So he does mm -hmm. race timing and I enjoy his company enormously. He's just a character of the highest, highest wonderful proportions. It makes my, makes a, a cold day fun to have Arno around and you must enjoy him because he's a fellow German. Um. Yes and no. Actually, we were looking at doing um, one of his pack rafting courses with our crew a while ago, um, just as something fun to do because he's really, really good at actually skill building prior to getting yourself mm. an adventure. It's a bit like what Ginny was saying, actually calculated risk and not just go mm. off, and, off and do stuff. Um, and he's also a really good friend of another friend of ours, um, Rusko, who runs kayaking adventures in, in Milford Sound, another wonderful human. So it's, it's a small town. Everyone knows everyone. Yeah, what a place. Well, now. This is where we get to the remarkable bit. If you thought the show was pretty exciting and these ladies live amazing lives and here's us, nine to five, get the bus, go to work, come home, get the kids from school, go to work. They're living in Coromandel and Dusky Sound, painting and cruising around. They've built their life, wonderful life. But they're giving such a lot back and not just to the community, but to nature, and not just for the here and now, but forever. Because you have a project called Pure Salt. Is that the project's name, Pure Salt? Well, Pure Salt is a company, and the way we look at it is really just a construct to let us do the things that we're passionate about. And mm. one of the things we're passionate about is giving back to place, like you were saying. So for Tamatia Dusky, there's this wonderful overall vision that was put together by Doc um, to go for full ecosystem restoration of all of Tamatia Dusky to be one of the most intact ecosystems on Earth. You're talking over 700 islands and you're talking about the seventh largest island in New Zealand, massive area. And to restore it to a point where it can act as a biobank for the rest of New Zealand. So everything within the ecosystem is so healthy that you can actually sustainably relocate those species to other places in New Zealand where all this wonderful work is being done to towards predator-free to repopulate. So kind of imagine it like Noah's Ark sort of a scenario that we're looking after um, whilst the rest of the country gets ready, um, which is also really special because that essentially still goes back to Richard Henry days in the late 1800s, the very first person to be employed as a conservation worker in New Zealand. 
um, right back when uh, Maikata Resolution Island was first made a nature reserve. So he was employed to row around in his little boat and collect flightless birds from the mainland and put them on the islands for exactly the same reason, to look after them until we sorted out our problem with mustelids. So in a way, the, the overall vision has, has carried on and still holds true with a lot more momentum to it. So um, all we do is lift our corner of this huge chunk of work and trying to connect as many people as possible to it because this might be this faraway corner in the southern part of New Zealand, but it's something that we're doing all together and for the whole country. So um, that's... And you've started with a couple of islands, am I right? Yes. So we knew about the vision and we, we'd known that there's beautiful work being done and we've noticed differences in the bird life locally, even just within 15 years, which is no time at all in the scheme of things. So um, we simply approached our local dock office and said, hey, you know, which corner can we lift? Which piece of the puzzle can we help with? And they pointed onto a small little island, uh, Mamaku Indian Island, um, and said, oh, see if you can put some traps onto that to put a red grid on it. Poison didn't work, so let's give that a shot. So um, we did, and we put a full grid on it in about eight months, which we learned What's later. A full, what, what, what does a full grid mean? You put a full grid on it. What does that mean? So the basically the spacings in which you put your traps, which okay. is all about the home ranges of the animals you're targeting. So um, for rats, that's about 50 to 100 metres. So the widest you want to go is 100 by 100, ideally 50 by 50. So on that island, on Mamaku Indian, we now have a trap every um, every 50 to 100 metres. In some places, every 25 metres in intense areas. So it's coming up to 500 traps over an island that's only 170 hectares, if people are into numbers, yeah. <laughs> just for scale. Um, so we put that whole grid of traps on there just before that big mask year hit uh, in 2018, where everything just went nuts. Mm-hmm. Um, and found out afterwards that apparently that sort of project should take you about a year and a half, two years to complete. Um, but we didn't know what we didn't know, which was a really good thing and which we continue to think is quite a good thing. So um, that's doing really well. And So you, uh, you, when you're doing these grids and putting these traps in, this isn't walking through a paddock. No. No, a long way from it. Trap <laughs> down. This is treacherous bush and tough terrain. Yes. So, like, you're looking at it and you say, oh, I'm supposed to put my trap up that. Can you sort of cheat a bit and have it back? Well, there's there's a bit of a process there. You you, you might have gone walking and you see traps and boxes and you're walking your little track. Uh, wherever it might be. But yeah. yeah, someone sits at a computer to start with and goes, okay, where do these traps need to be to make sure that there's a trap in every single animal's home range so you're not missing gaps, right? Yeah. It's a bit like a fishing net. You, yeah. you want to make sure that you don't have gaps. And then someone else goes into the bush with that theoretical trap position and where the tracks need to go and does what uh, we call ground truthing. So you actually make sure you can actually physically get there. It might be a bluff in the way. So you yeah. got to shift a little. Um, so you put flagging tape through um, and make sure that the lines are actually doable. And then another crew goes in with chainsaws and they then chainsaw it all. And someone else follows that crew and they put triangles up so you can easily follow the tracks. And then you need to get traps into the place, which in our case is all flown in by helicopter. 
And then um, uh, rather strong and stubborn humans put pack frames on their back and carry um, a couple, sometimes three of those tracks through the bush, actually deploying them. And then you start the ongoing work of checking those traps. That's a lot of work. It's a lot of people's passion, a lot of people's sweat and tears and a lot of people's energy that have gone into it. So when you say that we have a project, the we is a very, very large one. And there's a lot of people that have come before us and we need the next generation to carry it on after us. This is solely a point in time. And it's a chance for us to gather momentum so that, you know, there's less to do down, down the track. Who are these people that are doing the work? Um, it's a combination. So the work that we are doing is all funded out of pure salt, but the work on the ground, the physical humans, is mostly volunteers. So that is people that have been connected to us, is people that um, are clients of ours that come back volunteering, um, that is people that hear about the project and say, hey, I'd love to come on. It's people that normally get paid for this work and decide to come do it for free because of this place being so unique, because of the Tamatea dusky sound vision as an overall and the connection to the rest of the country. Um, and comes back to that same special connection to that place, that, those heartstrings that are being drawn on, um, people naturally want to give. And I think you said it was a 500 traps on that island? Um, on that island it is, yes. And it's 170 um, hectares? Yes. Um, and we've also since put cameras on. Um, game track cameras is a relatively new thing that we're all still learning about. And as we put, first, put the first one on, um, within a month or so, we saw kiwi in front of it, and nobody knew there was kiwi on the island. Um, so since then, we've got well, a... that's interesting, isn't it? Because they obviously didn't fly there. No. Um, it's hard it's, to imagine them swimming there. Yes, but the really cool thing is very likely that they would have been relocated back in the late 1800s by Richard Henry. So it's, again, that full loop carrying wow. on. Um, and they've just eked out... Despite all the predation, they've eked out a existence there. Absolutely, and and with uh, and with the work that everyone is doing, they will flourish. Uh, and they are already. So to start with, we only saw a handful here and there, and now we're seeing them in front of all but one camera, including little juvenile fluff balls, which is really cool. Um, and the other thing that's really cool is before we started on the island, there was a trust that years beforehand had tried dropping poison on the island because it was really hard terrain and they didn't think it was trappable. And they celebrated predator-free, which was wonderful because they also got rid of the mice. And on the back of that, they reintroduced robin. Um, but there was never really uh, an incursion network in place. So um, naturally, predators flooded back onto the island and the work wasn't carried on, which is when we came on the scene. Okay. Um, so, so we... This incursion, what's an incursion network to stop them getting well, Having a network that will catch whatever comes back on. So there was a couple of traps on the perimeters, but um, because rats and stoats swim. So if that's not checked regularly or not big enough, then that, that won't mean, mean much. So now with us having a solid network on the island, um, those numbers can be kept low consistently. So it's a so perimeter. Exactly. Um, but what's really cool is because we've kind of had that history that we inherited now looking after this place, um, or originally there was still a handful of robin around. You came 
came across them occasionally, and now they're just all over the island, and they're naturally setting over to the neighbouring island, Long Island. So you heard me talking about this biobank concept before where you can sustainably relocate and take to other places. They're doing it by themselves. They're essentially spilling over to the next island. So that's really cool. On that island, you won't have deer or rabbits, I'm guessing. Um, Not rabbits, but deer swim. Um, And we also have rats at low levels and the occasional stoat coming through. So for anyone listening or if you've had anything to do with with networks, you generally look at not just having dead things under traps. You also want to look at what are you protecting um, and what's still left after you had your dead things under the traps, right? So you want to detect what's there. Um, prior and after monitoring outcome as well. So have you heard of trekking tunnels or rat tracking? No, I've heard of nothing. Okay. Um, Really rudimentary. It's a very basic tool, but the only reason it it works is because it's been used for years and years across projects, so it becomes comparable, okay? So we have um, 60 trekking tunnels across the island. Really simple. Just imagine like a, a little black plastic tunnel that set out and transacts across your island. And um, every every four months, we go through and we put a white card into that tunnel that has a black ink pad in the middle. And in that ink pad, you put a bit of peanut butter and you leave them out overnight. So if you, any sort of pest comes on through, on the way to get the peanut butter, they pick up ink on their feet and then trample it through the, the white card, different sort of paintwork really. <laughs> um, and then when you collect your cards, you just count each each count of predator, if you like, as a percentage of the overall amount of cards that you have out. Mm. So we have 60 tracking tunnel cards out. If um, six of those cards would have a red footprint on, we would be having 10% red tracking across the island. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't matter if it's one footprint or if it's black because it's run through it's still the same count. So it's just the indicator. So 0% doesn't mean that there's actually no rats around, but it becomes comparable. And another reason that that's quite an important thing to understand is generally um, in the paperwork side of things when it comes to conservation, 5% is regarded as good for your natives. So if you manage to get your rat tracking, your background predator tracking to 5% or lower, it's generally said that your natives will thrive. It's quite good for context, and it's also good to know because if you want to start filling those biodiversity gaps, because we're talking about ecosystem restoration, then that becomes important for relocations. Mm. So um, for us, we started with over 30% tracking at that mask year, just on that little island. And for the last four years running, we've been 5% or lower. Wow, good on you. Multiple zeros, including the last check, just at the end of um, January, start of February which is really cool and heaps of anecdotal changes of, you know, kakariki now all over the island and there's kaka around and more robins seen, you know. So And the vegetation, does that change? Um, yes. As soon as, um, you know, there's less deer around, everything starts coming through. There's a massive difference between the mainland and the islands that have been um, predator controlled for deer for a long time, like Pukanui Anchor Island, home of Kakapo, which is literally just around the corner. Um, the, the vegetation is thick. You can't see far which is how it's supposed to be. And the traps, how do they work? Is it poison or do they get their head chopped or what happens? 
<laughs> I like um, the gory bits. The gory bits, all right. Um, well, on the on the dispatching side, um, there's a number of different traps around. So we run mostly A24s, which are produced by Good Nature, a New Zealand company, and they're self-resetting. Um, so they have a little bolt in them and a little CO2 canister that um, fires through and resets. Mm. So they can be set for six months out. We choose to do it every four months because we have quite harsh conditions on our bait. So um, that those are fantastic because you're not just having a single action and then your trap is useless. Um, they can, you know, repeat and repeat. We've found up to seven rats under one trap over that over those last years and threes oh, and fours were common. Um, and does a trap is for a particular pest or will that trap, catch lots of different types of pests like would it get a stoat um there's there's two answers to that in principle a trap type targets a specific animal so those a24s were designed for rats um so sorry for stoats but they catch rats really effectively as well mm. uh, much like your doc 200 those classic wooden boxes you see all around the place mm -hmm. um they're really good for stoats, but they also catch your rats. So it depends on how you set your, your treadle sensitivity, if you like. So the mm -hmm. thing that sets it off, if it's really lightweight, it will even catch a mouse. But mm -hmm. you don't want to have a mouse in your trap when you could have had a stoat type thing if that's what yeah. you're targeting. Yeah. Um, and then we also run snap traps, which are kind of like your, a really big booty mouse trap. Um, so it's not just a silver bullet. Not one thing will ever solve all your problems. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> it's a multitude of things. And and these rats are accumulating in the bottom of the trap. And they're falling out of it and then ah. serve as extra bait and others will come through and drag them out and um, pick them up. Oh, and Yeah, our cameras are telling us the same thing. And you have to service the traps every four months? Yes, yeah, so three, yeah, minimum three times a year we go and do a trip to just service that network. Plus we've also since taken on to um, Long Island to you know sulfury invasion so that's the next island over which is about 2000 hectares to kind of give you an idea of scale um and we've also just added um pigeon island to our community agreement with doc which is where richard henry lived in late 1800s just to protect them from potential rat incursion and halfway through that about three years ago we also um added maui carter resolution island to our community agreement to help out with extra trap checks wherever we could and that's there is over twenty thousand hectares worth of territory with mm. you know over four thousand right. traps on it so if you're to numbers it, it gets quite big quite quickly yes you're listening to rally check radio it's real talk with rodney hyde oh my goodness we're talking to maria Casta and we're talking to jenny deval what a story what a life but what an amazing contribution back to New Zealand and to the world of our biological past. Now, you'll always have those traps on the island. Like you don't get to a point and you say, fuel, no more ratty rats. I can remove all the, all the traps because they can swim. You're always going to have a perimeter and a need to catch them, right? Absolutely. It's ongoing. That's what I said. We're only looking at a point in time mm. because we don't yet have the tools to put our tools down and walk away. Mm. Um, and your your vision mm -hmm. is to do this right across Dusky Sound. The vision is to do this across all 700 islands, but 
that is oh, the islands, not the, the sort islands. of mainland part. No, because as that goes back to the whole Noah's Ark idea. Yes. All we're doing is we're holding ground until we have the tools to do it properly throughout all of New Zealand. Got and the, the tool the tool question is quite an important one because when you're talking about the liking the gory bits and the, the killing things, that's one aspect of it, the dispatching of whatever predators you're looking at. But there's so much more room to learn how to even attract them into those tools. How can you detect what's there, what's not there, when to when to actually react, especially when you start scaling it up over landscapes. So learning more about how we can look after every single corner of New Zealand whilst we're holding ground on these islands is a really big focus of ours. And um, that's where, you know, the likes of Jenny's work and involving people and investing that comes in. And we do a lot of work on that on Tamoana Five Fingers, which is part of my Okata resolution as well, around cameras, AI development, sonic lures, um, different uh, different baits, different lures, um, dealing with different projects and sharing questions and sharing resources and answering those questions mm. because what we know is we don't really know a lot. I had a friend telling me that his son works for Doc and they're using drones at night and the drones can detect like a deer and uh, other pests, big things, I guess, and that they can identify through thermal imaging sort of the species and then they can tell the shooters this is where they are, and yes. off they go. And you can imagine getting to a point in time where maybe maybe they can do that now. Drones can actually detect rats and uh, smaller um, pests and maybe even blow them up. I sound, I sound a terrible person, don't I? I can't kill anything. I can't <laughs> kill an earthworm. <laughs> Not at all, but that's kind of where we need to be. Absolutely. I, I, it's hard to appreciate that you love nature. You've got to kill these pests because they're destroying our wildlife on a gigantic scale. The, the, what a rat can do or a colony of rats can do to our native wildlife, it's horrific. Yeah. Now, Jenny, what's your involvement in the Coromandel with this project? Um, so I was invited by Pure Salt to come along as a resident artist for a week, um, which was amazing to spend some more time in Dusky Sound. And so I went back to Dusky in 2014 uh, with Doc um, for a similar reason, to be an artist. But it was, between kayaking through there and then coming back with Pure Salt in 2022, it was 10 years, and yet I noticed such a big difference. I don't think I saw a single kaka the first time. And they were, it was like they were swarming over all the pest free islands when I was there. And um, yeah, you step onto a, an island that's had a trapping network on it for a while and the bush was loud. And I never noticed that in 2012, not not in the way that it is now. It's, dr it's dramatic. Yeah, I noticed a huge difference. It's definitely, you can definitely see it working. Going from having a 10-year break and not seeing the progress in the meantime and just seeing the start and then seeing a decade later, it's amazing. It really is. And what does an artist in residence do? Um, I did a lot of snorkeling and kayaking. <laughs> and like an artist would do, yeah. Yeah, and I painted on the boat um, in the evenings, but I get really seasick. So I was I was hoping to paint from life quite a bit, but... um. I get quite seasick. So. Maybe I, um, take a little, 
picture on your iPhone and then paint it when you get home to the land? Yeah, so I took a lot of photos and um, I was actually really surprised. I thought I knew Dusky and I've been there a few times and I know a lot about the history and I thought I knew the place pretty well. But as soon as I put on a wetsuit and went underwater, I was just blown away. Oh, All the photos, why? Why? All the photos you see of Dusky, of the, the perfect reflections and the big mountains and beautiful bush, there's just as much going on underwater. Like There's what? this whole other world down there, fish and seaweed and gardens and coral. It's just bright. It's just vibrant and it's just stunning. It's beautiful down there. And I couldn't get in the water enough. I couldn't Is go snorkeling. Is it oh, clear? Yeah. It was the week that I went. So there's that. Um, there's so oh, much. You're, rain the, you're the lucky weather lady, right? I'm the I'm the lucky weather lady. I am. They should so have you on their, on their charters just for yeah. The it was actually a beautiful week, but it's cool there when it's raining too. But um, there's so much fresh water that comes down off the hills that there's a fresh water layer on top mm-hmm. of the salt water, and so a lot of things that usually would grow down quite deep in darker waters grows closer to the surface, and not having done a lot of, well, that was the first time I've been snorkeling there. Usually, I think closer to the surface like that, you um, it can be a bit harder to see because of the fresh water. Is that, I think that's right, Maria? Yeah, especially at the heads of the fjords, if it hasn't rained for a while, that gets quite thick and dark. So, yeah. you know, three, four metres is not uncommon. So you got to snorkel through that and then it clears up where yeah. it's always mixing. So closer to the coast is generally fairly clear. Yeah, so the week I was there, it was awesome. And it was clear everywhere. And just um, and I couldn't get enough. Fish. I was in the water as much as I could. Really? Trying you to never memorize done it everything. That was, was to that? avoid seasickness. Um, well, that too. But I was trying to memorize everything because the last thing, well, I wanted to sit up on the boat and paint, you know, in plain air and paint the hills, but um, I just couldn't get enough of underwater. So I, I was swimming around trying to memorize as much as I could so I could get on the boat and then paint underwater scenes so I ended up doing a few paintings on the boat but both of them were of underwater not um, what I could see in front of me and of course loads lots and lots of photos Maria you are a new type of business aren't you a new type of business well you think well let me put it this way you ordinarily think of oh, I run a charter business and I load people onto the boat and I take them around and show them a good time and I be very nice to them and off they go. But you seem to have this view of a deeper connection to the place and people keep coming back and coming back with their children and I imagine over time the children's children for the experience. But then you're doing all this conversation, conservation work and restoration work, and then you're saying, well, we're not just doing this to restore this island. This is like a biobank for New Zealand, which is a phenomenal concept. It's big, it's in, but you're a business and you're doing this. But then when you're doing this biobank, and you're saying in your business, we're going to take Kiwis only because we want to build up 
iwi's connection to this place because that will provide this ongoing connection and ongoing support for the biobank but then i hear that here you are sweet young 18 year old plus here you are when you're doing this business you invite artists and residents to capture it which is like another level of what you're doing isn't it it's extraordinary to me well in a way it's it's still all about people and trying to have as many different avenues to connect people to place as possible again just doing our piece like when you're talking about that vision it's not just us the department is doing huge amounts of work. Mm -hmm. There's other businesses giving, there's individuals giving, volunteers giving. I could sit probably for a good two hours in a solid monologue about the stories and different ways people are giving, including Jenny and other artists. So the artist thought came about just for that connection reason. So we started the Tamatia Art Project to ongoingly offer artists to come and connect themselves with the place and whatever comes out of that, there's no prescription to help form more connection for others, another conduit. And also if there is something to sell, like prints or originals, or it might be an event, um, proceeds from that, then also come and help fund the conservation work, specifically tool development and one-off projects that otherwise might have not been funded, um, helping us answer some of those questions and collab with other projects. So it's just another way to keep it alive and keep it keep it flowing and keep the next generation come on as well. We do the same with kids. We've got a Tamatea Learns project. We look after or try to look after the what's below the surface as well as Tamatea Blue doing underwater cleanup, sustainable fishing for, for utilization. Um, I actually really struggle with painting the full picture because there is so much to it and there's mm. still so much more to do. I saw on your wonderful videos amazing pictures of them going into the sound and bringing up old tire, bringing up an old tire. And you think it's a big effort mm -hmm. to get a tire, but that's the sort of cleanup that people are doing. Yes. Tons and tons. Yes. And the, the connection to place, that's why I'm really excited to be working with Jenny as well, because out of that conversation around how to give back to the place and Jenny having already done originals to then connect with the idea of a biobank and actually draw currency and the scope that that brings to connecting people further and concepts we can build around that is incredibly exciting. Mm. I, always painted, Sorry, Jenny. I, I always painted a lot of New Zealand flora and fauna and like our wild places and the, like the why was, so if I painted these places, it would inspire people to go and visit them and go on their own journeys, even if it's just, you know, the backyard bush track. You know, it didn't have to be a wild three-month adventure in some remote place. It, you know, it could just be the bush track down the road. But I thought if more people go outside and experience these things and, and notice it, then the more they care, the better decisions are made, and then it's, you know, hopefully there for future generations. And that was always my why for a long time, but... I particularly like this project because I know that my work is going to directly impact the place that I really care about. And I know that it's going straight back into that place. It's not, it's not so eerie-fairy. Mm. So, yeah, that's why it really Do appealed to me. Do you feel the pull to leave the Coromandel? 
leave the beach and go to the... Oh, I'm from Christchurch originally. And um, I miss the South Island. I love the South Island and I miss the mountains. But, um, yeah, this has become home, this little pocket of coastline. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's good to have a home and it's good to have a place to go to. Yeah, it is. It is. And I hope that I'll keep going back regularly because, um, yeah, there's definitely a big pull to spend time there. But, yeah, for for now anyway, this is definitely home. Well, dear listeners, how blessed are we? You should go to oh, kind of Ginny, Ginny yeah. Devol's yeah. webpage, see her wonderful art, G-I-N-N-Y-D-E-A-V-O-L-L. And you will be amazed because, ah, I guess it's a, Personal thing, oftentimes art, but I think anyone who sees this art will be moved. Uh, it's wonderful, Maria. We can go to your wonderful or the wonderful web page of Pure Salt, and we can see those those videos that you got are better than anything you could ever see on TV about nature. It beats Richard Attenborough. I can't stand that guy droning on. I loved your videos. And everyone listening who has half an interest, you just have to go to Pure Salt and scroll through some of those videos and watch it, and you'll be amazed at this amazing part of New Zealand and what's being done there. And we know that we can go on a expedition to Dusky Sound and have a trip of a lifetime. But what I'm learning, Maria is that when you go on one of your adventures or trips, I don't know quite what to call it, connections, you build a connection for a lifetime to a place and to a people and to a community that are all working to build this biolab. And even if it's not your place, even if anyone that listens to this or connects with Fjord in a different way or sees a project is in some form or shape inspired to do something in their own backyard in any corner of New Zealand, then that's that's a win for us. I'm going, to go out and, I'm going to go out directly from this and kill a couple of rabbits. Nice. <laughs> We're inundated with rabbits here. They're quite lovely creatures. I quite like watching them because they're amazing how fast they can run. And But, man, do they destroy the environment. Oh, they're awful. Oh, the very reason we have stoats around. Ah, because they brought the stoats in to control the rabbits. Exactly. Yeah, oh, the very reason Richard Henry was employed. Ah, that worked out well. Um, yeah. Oh, my goodness. I honestly, is there anything that you'd like to tell our listeners? Oh, first of all, how could our listeners, well, our listeners could go on your web pages and they can see how they can get involved. Is there anything you'd like to say that I haven't asked you about? I've never done that before, but I just feel you've got so much to give us. Maria, have you got anything you'd yeah. like to say that we haven't covered? Get well, me, have you got something? Yeah. You start, Jenny. Yeah. Um, um, quite, quite specifically with the project with Jenny, 
it's about creating a currency to take that that concept of a biobank quite literal. And the very first three pieces of art are just in the process of being released. And there's versions of buying the prints and there'll be other ways to, you know, actually physically having them in your own hands and share that story with the proceeds going towards actual physical tool development. So those are on sale on our website. I'm you can so. buy them through the, through the shop and, and everything will go directly into the place. Um, That's and wonderful. And I think Jenny? the other thing that is still missing is just a little bit of um, background from Jenny for those dollars because all three of them are absolutely stunning with so much background I can't even begin to explain. I'm seriously excited. Jenny, the yeah, floor is yours. I really, I really like the idea of the biobank. I heard it on the doc trip um, back in 2014 and then it, it just really stuck when I came out with Pure Salt. And um, I kept thinking about it and um, it went, yeah, it kept coming back into my head and I thought, what can I do with this? And then, of course, yeah, the natural thing was to create a currency. And I had no idea how it would work or, or what it would be or how it could be used, but I thought, no, this is a really different idea and it's there's got to be, it's got to work in some way. So, yeah, I just kind of jumped in and began. And then, of course, what do I put on this note? I mean, how do I pick between all the different landscapes? How do I pick between all the different animals that we're trying to protect? And how do I show all the different weather? And it, it just, you should see my sketchbook, it just went crazy. It's just full. And where do you even begin? So I started with three notes. And they're all the same. I can show you up here. They're all the same layout. Oh, how wonderful. Oh, how and wonderful. Oh, the poor listeners at home can't see them. We're going to have to put a link. <laughs> We'll put a link. Oh, how wonderful. Yeah. That's so they've got a, a different dollar note. <laughs> so there's a different view in each one, and I tried to make them quite varied. So one's from like the inner fjord. That's stunning. One's out at sea. Um, and one's of a, a really neat rock. Um, that are just kind of I feel like they're all quite um iconic of dusky and they're they're different colours, um, and then different wildlife as well that I thought were important. Um and then they've each got this plaited um, pattern, if you can see it, around the outside. Yes. And uh, I really like plaits. I've used them a lot in my work. But I, the plait for all the different groups coming together and um, all volunteering and, and making this this project happen. So, um, yeah, I kind of just begun and uh, then it grew. And I still have a sketchbook full of things that I haven't been able to fit into these three. So I th I'd say it's going to continue to grow. And, uh, yeah, we'll see where it goes. So I could buy a print or I could buy, yeah. is that the idea, I buy a print or the original? What do I buy? Uh, you could buy a print. So mm -hmm. you can buy a single dollar. So there's three different ones. There's a, like a red one, the green one, and a blue one. Mm -hmm. So you can buy a single dollar that are um, printed on A2 size paper or you can buy a print on A2 size paper with all three dollars stacked one above the other. And so the prints are... The dollars are a bit smaller on that one. They fit on the A2. Mm. And then down the track, a bit later this year, we're going to auction the originals. My goodness. And so they'll be they'll be available as well. And then and the, that, all the proceeds from the, the prints are going to be going into tour development to directly benefit the project. Well, that, those, those, that currency looks just so beautiful. It looks Thank so you. wonderful. And... I, I recall reading 
on your web page that like you buy one and it sort of three of them or something equals a trap or one equals three traps. How does that work? They actually, is there some one-to-one -one correspondence to a trap or something? Or have I got that wrong? No, that is purely towards tool development. Okay. Um, as, yeah. as lovely as it is to say that, you know, one thing equals a trap, it's not necessarily yeah. what we need. More okay. traps in the bush is not necessarily helping the place. Okay. Okay. So it's just to the job. Well, I don't know quite how to end this because <laughs> I feel as though there's that connection that you weave a spell. And I have to end it. I think both of you, we're talking to Ginny DeVal, artist, adventurer in the Coromandel, doing this wonderful project for a place way down, very special place down the bottom corner of New Zealand, Dusky Sound. Maria Custer with a K of pure salt. And if you want to help these ladies, if you want to be inspired, go straight to the webpage just right now. And Maria, I think I'm saving for coming on one of your expeditions with my children. Nice. I think We'd that would be amazing. I think it'd be better than going to Spain or going to Switzerland. I think it'd be so much better to spend six days on a boat developing a connection with a very special part of New Zealand and then becoming part of something much bigger in New Zealand, that community of people that are working to build our biobank. It's a special place. And for the most important things in life, they're never the right words. So I'll leave that with you. Yes. You're on Rally Check Radio, Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Truly, we're blessed. Two wonderful, wonderful ladies, Ginny Deval, Maria Custer, Pure Salt. Uh, oh, my goodness. Can you ever imagine a business like that where it's not just about taking in the dollars, giving the people a good trip, but about rebuilding a little bit of New Zealand, about what it was, what that place was in terms of its flora and fauna before people arrived. And uh, it's sort of like um, Jurassic Park, isn't it? Making making it right back to our prehistory before there were people. Thank you for listening, everyone. Remember, you can send me a text 2057. Email me inbox at radiocheck.radio. Do look up those web pages. You will be impressed and amazed. With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom, reach new audiences, and bring important information to the public free of charge. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Visit www.realitycheck.radio forward slash donate.